You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. More fuel for the ICBC dumpster fire tonight. A Supreme Court judge has ruled against changes that would have saved the corporation an estimated $400 million. Richard Zussman explains what it all means and the potential fallout of the financial hit. It was supposed to be one of the solutions to fixing ICBC's dumpster fire. Now the B.C. Supreme Court has ruled a restriction on expert reports is unconstitutional. This is obviously a very disappointing case. Uh, it is especially challenging knowing the problem that we face in our justice system with a bloated and excessive adversarial expert system. Expert reports are used to determine what sort of settlement an individual involved in a car crash deserves from ICBC. The province says the cost of these reports have driven litigated injury settlement costs up 20% over the last year. The BC Trial Lawyers Association brought the issue to court. The organization argued the change was an attack on the most grievously injured. It accurately uh, recognizes that the law which the government had introduced was unfair to litigants going to court in that it restricted their ability to bring all of the evidence to court. The decision won't just impact settlement claims, it could have a major impact on the province's bottom line. Right now the government is projecting a surplus of nearly 200 million dollars. This blows that all out of the water and more. It's a big problem and I said that at first quarter uh, that we could be talking about a half a billion dollars uh, and we already have problems as you know with ICBC. Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson arguing the government will target the budget gap one way, rate hikes to ICBC customers. David Eby made a colossal blunder going to court. The court has slapped him down as he knew they would and now motorists are going to pay for it. The government's still grappling on whether it should appeal and are trying to figure out other ways to find savings at the public insurer. We'll have to look at all of our options. It's obviously a challenging decision for us and our reform efforts here. The government hoping the public will trust they can solve the ICBC issues, especially considering this just adds fuel to the ongoing fire. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. Keith, that decision creating a little back and forth during question period today. Could ICBC be the big election issue? Oh, I think the Liberals are trying to turn it into a big election issue while ahead of the actual election itself. Uh, ICBC, obviously a hot political potato here, and both sides are trying to throw it in each other's laps. And we got an example uh, in question period today of what a challenge the Liberals have on this since they had ICBC for 16 years, and you just can't erase the past that quickly. David Eby trying to make the argument that it can't very well come at him considering what happened in the past. Here's a brief exchange between him and Mr. Wilkinson. And who pays? Every single driver in British Columbia. So when is the Premier going to realize his Attorney General's scheme is falling apart and he better figure out a new plan and find a new Attorney General? Remind British Columbians of what the Fraser Institute said about the previous government. Faced with exploding costs, the previous BC government had a choice. Contain the costs, take the unpopular decision to increase rates substantially, or enact large-scale reform of the basic auto insurance system in the province. In the end, the government chose to do nothing. 
So that's just an example, I think, of both sides trying out some of their message points uh, for the uh, ongoing fall session in time to get ready for the next election campaign, because ICBC, you can be sure, will be front and center. Unclear yet which party can benefit the most from the ongoing dumpster mm -hmm. fire there. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Tis the start of the season for inclement weather and holiday madness, and more often than not, that also means long waits for taxis. But this year, ride hailing was promised to be up and rolling in time to ease the commute. Jill Bennett sat down with the general manager of Lyft today, and Jill, Peter Lukomsky says it will happen, but probably not to the extent that many are hoping. And he has some new concerns tonight. Sophie, all along we've been told it's that class four driver's license requirement that's the biggest hurdle to bringing ride sharing to BC. Well, now Lyft is saying in zone one, which is Metro Vancouver, the Sea to Sky Corridor and the Fraser Valley, there are several municipalities and cities that are looking at extra fees and that's a problem. It seems easy enough. Around the world, people have been using rideshare companies for years. But it looks like the Made in BC model has led to another roadblock in this province. Now what we're seeing is municipalities trying to take a look at how they can also um, either regulate or, or license ridesharing. Um, and, uh, and it's thrown some uncertainty our way. Lyft is ready to launch in BC as soon as it gets approval from the Passenger Transportation Board. But now with municipalities looking at charging fees for business licenses and other fees, the company is concerned it won't be able to provide the same service it does elsewhere. Vancouver has already approved a congestion fee and a per vehicle fee. It's a very interesting way of trying to, um, trying to regulate uh, ride sharing um, and one that's really puzzling us. So what we're seeing from that is is we're a bit uncertain about what our overall costs are going to be. So ultimately, um, the price of ride sharing for the consumer, for the rider, um, is a bit uncertain right now. The only Vancouver City Councillor to vote against the per vehicle charge is concerned. If every municipality brings one in, it will become too expensive and could lead to the same obstacles facing taxis. What you're doing is essentially replicating a taxi model. Um, and the entire intent was to move forward into the 21st century and evolve that and that's not what's happening. We're really happy that uh, we've got Ridehill coming in and that, business, that municipalities are willing to work with Ridehill and make sure it works in their region. We will not be issuing any business license to ride-sharing companies in Surrey. But Lyft says the uncertainty created in some cities means when it does start operating in B.C., it will likely use geofencing, leaving some major areas out. But we're dealing with some really big uncertainties in the last few weeks here before we get going that may leave uh, people wanting a little bit with the type of service that, that we provide. All right, Jill, when will we know for sure if ride sharing, Lyft, Uber or otherwise will be in place in B.C. this holiday season? Oh, I said so both Lyft and Uber say they're confident they will have services running for this holiday season, but this is almost a warning to people that it probably won't look the same if you've used it in other cities, because while they're expecting the Passenger Transportation Board to give them the green light within the next two weeks, where ride-sharing operates, where the boundaries are, and how much it will cost people still remains unknown. Sophie? Jill Bennett reporting tonight. Jill, thank you. When it comes to getting around Metro Vancouver, TransLink is testing a new pilot program to see whether offering commuters more choices will encourage them to leave their personal vehicle at home. The company is partnering up with four transportation providers, allowing participants to use their compass cards to tap into convenience. Sarah McDonald tells us how it works. 
The different methods of public and shared transportation in Metro Vancouver are about as numerous as all the ways we pay for them. Now TransLink is looking to simplify the payment process to incentivize sustainable travel, launching a pilot program that allows the Compass Card to be used on other modes of transportation, including car and bike shares. It's all about uh, reducing congestion in our area and making the city and our local area more livable and easier to move around. The purpose behind the project, ease of travel and environmental impact. TransLink partnering with more than a dozen Vancouver-based companies, encouraging their employees to ditch conventional car travel. What happens is employees from these organisations tap on, uh, whether it be at the Fairgates or at Moby by Shawgo bike share or either of the car share providers. At the end of the month, then, the employers are provided with an invoice. The specialised compass cards will be offered to 200 employees and only for business travel. The organisations partaking, including UBC and IBI Group, footing the bill at the end of each month in a streamlined process for them as well. It's going to help us with our expense reporting at the end of the day and, and it's going to make it uh, basically the, the next best thing to reporting mileage for our employees when it comes to uh, uh, doing their expenses. The pilot project is only on the tracks until May and after that TransLink will analyze the metrics and crunch the numbers to potentially ultimately expand the program to the public. Having the uh, Evo card as well as the Compass card Merging them would be very helpful. Just being able to hop into an Evo to complete your trip would be, would be really helpful. Though that would require an overhaul of the entire Compass Card system a long way down the road. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A man shot in Chilliwack early Tuesday morning has now died. IHIT has identified the man as 27-year-old Keith Baldwin. Baldwin was shot around 12.30 a.m. near Fletcher Street and Yale Road. He was rushed to hospital and placed on life support, but has since succumbed to his injuries. Police want to hear from anyone who has information about what Baldwin was doing the night of Monday, October 21st. Vancouver police are issuing a new warning about virtual kidnappings after foreign fraudsters tried to extort a 27-year-old Vancouver man out of thousands of dollars last night. The elaborate extortion attempt was thwarted when police were alerted. In 2017 as well as 2018, we had a rash of virtual kidnappings. In 2019, this is the first one we have seen reported to us. We're trying to get ahead of this because what we saw last time was all of a sudden there was eight, nine, ten reportings at, uh, in a small short period of time. We want people to be notified and educated that the Chinese authorities, Chinese police are not going to call you. Any authorities will go through your local police department and those, that local police department will notify you of anything that is going on. A moving day at the B.C. Legislature where Indigenous leaders from across the province and the country filled the gallery for an historic moment. B.C. becoming the first province in Canada to table legislation to enshrine the rights of Indigenous peoples. Ted Trenecki explains what it means and why it's significant. I am proud that B.C. is a leader in Canada in advancing reconciliation together with Indigenous peoples. Let's make history. With BC formally adopting the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, the optimism among Native leaders was palpable. Today marks 
an era of where we have full recognition of who we are as peoples in this land. The declaration is a framework that affirms the rights of language, culture, self-determination and traditional lands. A contentious clause calls for informed consent before native land and rights are infringed upon. Some critics believe that could mean a veto over resource development. The word veto does not, uh, is not contained in the legislation, nor is it contained uh, in the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Trans-Canada, get off! What's in, what's in land? We've already seen pro- and anti-pipeline clashes within B.C.'s indigenous population. There are almost 200 First Nations in this province, and to get consent from them might seem impossible. But the Business Council of B.C. says there are already almost 500 agreements between companies and First Nations. As investors and business owners want to know what the rules are, how do we work together, and how do we invest with confidence to create high-quality jobs, but also get a return on the risk that we take in our business. We're going to create the space between all levels of government and industry to talk about development. Grand Chief Stuart Phillips says time's running out and the status quo needs to change. The only options available to us now to attempt to sort these issues out are in the courts. And, um, you know, obviously that's not working. The Business Council believes it's now up to the provinces and Ottawa to create the institutions and expertise within First Nations so that they can now negotiate competently and collectively, knowing their basic rights are protected. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Right now, after two years of declines, the housing market in Metro Vancouver is on the rise again. Experts at Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation are forecasting a rebound over the next two years. John Hua has more on how much and the warning that remains. Digging out after two slow years, the number of housing starts in B.C. There we go. <laughs> are finally picking up. We actually put the money down on day one. As soon as we looked around, uh, we were one of the first people to, to get our name on one of the Latimer Heights uh, townhomes. We able to take the dog out in the morning. Tom and Karen Baxter's decision to lock in and purchase their first home in the new Latimer Heights development in the township of Langley just might pay off. We're still always on edge of like, is it going to go up? Is it going to go down? We never really know. But the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation is forecasting modest price increases over the next two years enough to surpass record highs set in 2017. The more affordable segments of the market, uh, some of those uh, segments are seeing uh, increased activity uh, already, and uh, we've seen uh, seller's market conditions in uh, some Fraser Valley markets. Combating the climbing prices, the number of new builds. Buyers hoping that will at least keep the bidding wars at bay. For 2020 and 2021, we're expecting balanced market conditions overall, uh, which is a more predictable environment for both buyers and sellers. In suburbs like the township of Langley, a surging population likely means supply still can't keep up with demand. We're getting back to a normalized market, which isn't a bad thing, but there is a little bit of uh, rationalization, shall we say, on the, on the pricing. So the focus is on different options for anyone looking to own a home. We don't want to have just all one type of housing. The mixed housing, like I say, brings families and seniors and everybody together. The Baxters feeling lucky to have bought in Latimer Heights. Really fortunate just in the timing of things. More thankful to be off this roller coaster of a real estate market. John Hua, Global News. Port Coquitlam is pushing ahead with a project to revitalize a fire-ravaged downtown area. 
Quarry Rock Developments has signed an agreement to buy a city-owned parking lot on McAllister. The developer already owns the adjacent strip mall site, which has been vacant since fire tore through it three years ago. There are plans for a five-story building with street-level commercial space, 60 apartments, and underground parking. The project would be pedestrian-friendly and retain Port Coquitlam's charm and heritage. Once approved, construction would take about two years. It's a fast way to get dinner to your door, but an Okanagan woman is warning users of food delivery apps to watch their credit cards after she was billed for an order she didn't make. Doris Maria Bregalisi reports. It started Wednesday morning with a nearly $200 order for 15 breakfast wraps. And then 18 orders have come in, and those overnight, and over $800 on my credit card now. Lori Placid's credit card has been fraudulently charged nearly 20 times in the last day by one business, a web-based meal delivery system called Skip the Dishes. The random big breakfast order came here. The Grateful Fed in downtown Kelowna received not one, but two similar orders Wednesday morning. This one was just weird because it was for eight breakfast wraps, and then the next one came in, and it was for 15, and then they all got cancelled right away. They're grateful they didn't start the orders because they were part of fraudulent transactions. And despite the restaurant having their own digital record of the orders, Skip the Dishes told the customer... No, it never happened. They don't have those order numbers on history. All the other fraudulent skip-the-dishes orders on Placid's account were made at restaurants across the country. And I'd like to know if you could tell me if the order was picked up or cancelled. One of those restaurants in Montreal said they didn't even get the order. The fraud Placid was victim to is a similar story that we've heard from several others who have contacted Global News. Fraud notifications from their financial institutions after charges were made by skip-the-dishes. Placid said her own bank claimed numerous problems had been reported about charges linked to the meal delivery app. Skip the Dishes has repeatedly denied to Global News that any of their systems, whether it be their app or their financial systems, have been hacked. They blame this fraud on a malicious third party. But it doesn't explain why Skip the Dishes shows up on all our complainants' credit card statements as fraud. In a statement, Skip the Dishes said in part that information on their app was accessed via customer accounts through email addresses, usernames, and password credentials that were obtained from an unknown and unfortunately unidentifiable source. Doris Maria Bregalisi, Global News, Kelowna. BC Ferries is setting sail on a one-year trial of beer and wine service on its Tawasan to Swartz Bay route. Our Kylie Stanton was on board today as the first drink was poured and has more on the rules that apply to the booze cruise. Tinhorn Creek reverts the minor. The wine and beer are finally here. Cheers, baby. Cheers. And so why not? Drink that two glasses. And drink up. First impressions, it tastes fantastic. Breakfast of champions. As of 11 o'clock Thursday morning, the BC Ferries Bar is open. We have uh, two types of white wine, as well as two types of red, and two types of craft beer, a lager and an ale. Beverages are being sold in the Pacific Buffet on the Swartz Bay Sawasan routes, aboard three of the fleet's major vessels. I think that our uh, passengers are going to love the option of having a, uh, a, a drink of wine or a drink of beer with their uh, buffet. I'll take the lager. Excellent. 
But there are some ground rules. The drinks will only be served during the first hour of the crossing. And given the restrictions, it's unlikely anyone will be getting too crazy. There is a one drink limit per uh, passenger who is in the Pacific Buffet who uh, does purchase their meal. They have to be 19 years of age or older, just like any restaurant in British Columbia. And we do check for ID. It's something passengers have been calling for since the ferry system first started running nearly 60 years ago. I would say every other day I get asked by a customer whether or not we we serve alcohol on board. Now they're happy to take what they can get. I think it's a great move. Oh yes, I think it's very civilized to have a drink of wine with uh, a meal and... um, Everybody is happy, I think. At this point, it's only a pilot project. Over the next year, BC Ferries will monitor employee and customer feedback, as well as the revenue generated. That's expected to be somewhere in the $500,000 range. But in the meantime, this is something to celebrate. Cheers. Cheers. Kelly Stanton, Global News. Happy voyage. Victoria. Just one week to go until Halloween. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is checking out Edgemont Haunt in North Vancouver tonight. Is it scary, Christy? It is. I actually couldn't even go through the first part, which is just the kids' section. Sophie is so bad, but I get so scared with these things. This is a terrific haunted house. If you want one in the Lower Mainland, all it costs is just donation, and that money goes to the BC Professional Firefighters Burn Fund. So it's a great time, a great place to check it out. Um, it almost feels like you're on a movie set here. This is Trevor and Jody. They're the homeowners here. They've been doing it for 12 years, and it takes them four months at least each year year to put it all together what makes you do it year after year um just community spirit uh we get a lot of positive feedback and response for doing this and we're also we love halloween Uh, that's for sure and you do most of the work by hand Mm -hmm. yeah we do all the painting and sculpting and just creating it's the artistic stuff that i like the most and then why the uh, firefighters burn fund I think I've always associated it with Halloween, with the hazards of fireworks and firecrackers and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it was just our charity of choice, and we went with it, and they've been great. And this year's saying quickly, the theme this year? Oh, it's, it's Canadian folklore and urban legends. It's called True North, and it is very scary. But I do urge you to come down if you're not as uh, much of a scaredy cat as me. Uh, 6.30 to 9.30, seven days a week, and on weekends, they actually open at 12, and that's for less scary moments or time where kids can come and check it out. All right, thanks so much for having us. Thank Thank you. you. Good night. Back to you, Soph. All right, we'll talk to you in a bit, Christy. Thank you. Well, motivating kids to hit the books and do well in school can be challenging, especially when they turn the tables on you. That was the case for Chief Russ Chips of the Beecher Bay First Nation, who is the next guest on our leadership series. Chief Chips was trying to push more teenagers to graduate when they reminded him that he himself had not finished high school. Just about every one of them said, well, you dropped out. You're the chief. You dropped out. You're the chief. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I can't hear that one more time. So I just went up there and enrolled. There's nothing better than walking around that circle and you know, getting your diploma and saying, I've done it. It's, it's a great feeling. It's the best feeling in the world, actually. And he did it when he was in his 40s. The leadership lessons with Chief Chips tomorrow, including how one of his proudest accomplishments started with just a cup of coffee and a simple conversation. Stop. Can you see? Go. Huh? Go. No, I cannot. This feels stupid. Hey, we need to turn up. 
Yeah, I agree. Let's get out of here. A TV news crew stopped by the flames of a raging fire burning in rural Sonoma County, California. Despite the harrowing scene you see here, both men are safe and are still covering the Kincaid fire. That wildfire burning in Northern California's wine country quickly exploding to more than 4,000 hectares, forcing thousands of people from their homes as 110 kilometer an hour winds whip that blaze into a blowtorch. It took just minutes for a fast-moving fire to ravage California's wine country. The tourist destination now the scene of a mass evacuation. Geyserville is under mandatory evacuation. 2,000 forced to flee. Go, go, go. With escape routes shrouded in smoke and flanked by flames. This is a fire. This isn't just a smoke show right now. Known as the Kincaid Fire, it quickly grew to 10,000 acres overnight, propelled by wind gusts topping 70 miles an hour. So strong fire crews couldn't fly. Homes and buildings obliterated. With the sounds of explosions punctuating the night air. When the flames jumped a highway, it forced a mandatory evacuation in Geyserville, a small town north of San Francisco. This fire started in an area where power to some customers had already been cut by PG&E, which was hoping to prevent fires. But one started anyway, and some wonder if the blackouts made the evacuations harder. Our cell phones don't work up there. The phone lines were down, and it was just because someone looked up and saw red in the, in the sky That's that the we were able to that. evacuate. Across the state, preemptive blackouts have left more than half a million people in the dark, taking a toll on homes, businesses, even farmers. The ripple effect is huge. A large farm can't be without power for even an hour. Tim Mueller had to rush to rent a generator for $1,000 a week or risk losing everything. 48 hours without power could mean drying out everything in your greenhouse. Losing $50,000 worth of inventory would be catastrophic. Tonight, 10 major fires are burning across the state. A new reality in California, blackouts amid raging wildfires. Traffic cameras in Arizona captured a car crash with perfect timing. Watch the far right of the screen. Surveillance video shows two people pushing a stroller as an SUV runs a red and careens through the intersection. The SUV heading straight for the couple and baby until another car slams into it right before it would have struck the pedestrians. The woman behind the wheel of that second car inadvertently saving several lives. She was hurt, but she will survive. The SUV driver has been arrested. In Health Matters tonight, Global BC is supporting the third annual Haircuts for a Cause. Started by our own Sonia Sunger two years ago, viewers will be cutting their hair on tomorrow's Global News Morning. Global BC Hair Donation Day is expected to be bigger than ever, with hair donations going to wigs for kids. The organization partners with Eva and Company Wigs to create wigs from donated locks. Wigs for Kids helps children living with serious illnesses who need a human hair wig not covered by insurance or the government. It's a good time of year to hunker down and think about home improvements. And the Fall Home Show at the Vancouver Convention Centre has got you covered. That is where we find our Michael Newman tonight with a special guest. Michael. 
That's right, Sophie. I'm here at the Vancouver Fall Home Show. Doors just opened um, at 4 o'clock today. And, you know, folks are wanting to know, how do I make my house a little bit better? What are the things I need to know to make those improvements? Where well, they've got the experts here, like my man, Brian Baumler here, here. here. From HGTV Canada. So you, you, your profession is to help people and to, to build things, right? It is. I'm, I'm an interventionist, uh, <laughs> some, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, we do a lot of things. We do through our construction company. We, we build, renovate for you mm -hmm. uh, through some of the shows. If you've made a mistake, we'll uh, gently encourage you to, to fix those mistakes and guide you in the right direction. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah there's a multifaceted. Right. And so for today um, or throughout this weekend, you're going to be kind of giving some advice. So what, what, what can yeah. people expect? Uh, I, I'm going to share some information about our recent project in the Bahamas, some behind-the-scenes things, uh, some fun stories and anecdotes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love to take a lot of questions. People have very specific things they want to know. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and generally... Uh, you know they're scared to ask, right? But once once those questions start coming, they never end. So mm -hmm. it's uh, you know it's about how do I do my basement, bathroom, kitchen, whatever it is, right. and uh, I will try and help. All right, you will try to help. You I will, will not, do my best. Nothing guaranteed here, but you do have a lot of knowledge that you're going to be sharing with the folks here at the Vancouver Fall Home Show. So if you want to see Brian, if you want to learn some things, come down to the Home Show. It's going on till Sunday, until um, 6 p.m. So I'm going to send it back to you. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Michael. Well, move over Empire State Building. The Edge is coming. A new attraction on the New York City skyline will let you lean out over the city. The heart-stopping view right after the forecast. Right now, though, let's return to Edgemont Haunt. And Christy Gordon with a look at our <laughs> weather forecast. Christy. Thanks, Sophia. So they're officially open now that it's 630. That means that the actors are now starting to come out. So not only is it a display here, a first rate display, but now they've got actors roaming about. And that's my most scary part. So I'm staying here off <laughs> in the distance a bit. All right. We have to talk about whether tomorrow is going to be quite stormy. Now, through the morning, we'll see both wind and rain. And we are expecting a front to move through. These are all the warnings that are in place. Rain for Central Coast, uh, snowfall for the BC Peace River area and wind, uh, both special weather statement and warnings, the warnings in red there. But basically, we're going to see uh, for the South Coast region, it develop early tomorrow morning, the wind that is, and stay strong likely throughout till the late evening hours. So northwest winds, especially 40 to 60 kilometers an hour with some gusts at 80 kilometers an hour. You can expect some power outages tomorrow. You can expect de delays in the ferries, maybe even cancellations. In the morning, it will be wet and, rain wet and rainy, but by the afternoon, the system will clear out. We'll be enjoying sunshine, but that's when the winds will continue and likely be the strongest with those strong northwest winds across the region. There's your forecast for tomorrow, everyone. So a nice way to end the week. A blustery way to end the week, that's for sure. Uh, northern regions will see the rain earlier, pushing down across these regions later in the day as the front swings across. Sunshine by the afternoon, but it is going to be windy. The winds, though, will finally ease off Friday night. And look at that, an incredible stretch of weather right through until Halloween. So, looks yep. lovely. All right, thanks, Christy. Attention thrill seekers, the highest outdoor sky deck in the Western Hemisphere is now looming over the Big Apple. The Edge, as it's called, will open in March 2020 at Hudson Yards, New York City's newest neighborhood. The observation deck is suspended in midair, allowing you to hang out over Manhattan and feel like you're floating in, in the sky. If the 360-degree views aren't enough, you can look 100 stories down through the glass floor and lean out over the city on angled glass walls if you have the stomach for it. Right. I was going to say. Do you? Always do that before dinner. 
Good uh, point. Right? Good point. Have your Manhattan chowder after. It, with your Manhattan and wash <laughs> with it down man with the Manhattan. Exactly. It, it all works there. Are you sure. okay with heights? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay, so that's This not is good. high enough. I actually had to, I lowered, lowered my chair. I actually, yeah, yeah exactly. It's <laughs> better. Can't believe I actually talked about playoffs in October, but okay. Well, there's a lot of optimism around here, okay? <laughs> if they don't make it now, it'll be a disappointment. Gives us but, something to yeah, talk they're, about. Yeah, things are looking good so far. All right, thanks, Sophie. The uh, Canucks made a roster move today, sending center uh, Adam Gaudet to Utica. Gaudet has been a healthy scratch the last five games, and since the 23-year-old isn't required to clear waivers, it was an easy move for the Canucks. They just want him to get more playing time and then get him back up when the time is right. Gaudet has just a single assist so far in three games this season. The rest of the Canucks are back at it tomorrow night against the visiting Washington Capitals. We expect Jacob Markstrom will get the start after a couple of heroic efforts against the Rangers and Red Wings. Markstrom's fantastic work has been one of the reasons the Canucks have the second best goals against average in the NHL, but it's not the only reason. Chalowski, Manta again, quickly across after the shoot. Manta, sprawling save by Markstrom with the left hand. Jacob Markstrom is picking up right where he left off last year, making the kind of saves that either preserve wins or keep the Canucks' hopes alive to come back and win, which is what happened in Detroit. It's the kind of goaltending that gets teams into the playoffs. Oh, the bench just gets all fired up. It's a, it's awesome to see. Um, you know, when they make save, make some of the saves that they've made, it's almost just like scoring a goal. You just get, you get super excited for them, and um, you know. That's definitely one of the big reasons why we've uh, we've done so well keeping the goals down. I just focus on the next puck. That's all I can do. And you know, it's uh, you know my job. Obviously, we were down two nothing. It's uh, uh, you know you just want to you know get get the get the team a chance and you know timely saves. Here's number seven. Demko stopped it. Markstrom has been brilliant so far, but Thatcher Demko's also been outstanding. He actually leads the NHL with a 1.64 goals against average thanks to his three-game run last week when Markstrom had to attend to personal matters back in Sweden. Um, it's good to, to get a couple wins out of that stretch there and um, obviously prove, prove to the guys in the room that, that I can contribute and, and obviously the coaching staff as well. As good as the goalies have been, they've had a lot more help this year. The Canucks have upgraded their defense with Tyler Myers, Jordy Ben, and Hughes, but they've stepped up their team defensive game as well. We've changed a, a little bit of our system stuff, and I, I think it makes us harder to play against. We want to make sure that, uh, you know, we're locking down in the diesel. Yeah, it's a team game. Everyone, everyone thinks connected. Your systems are all connected. Uh, buying in as a team and playing a certain way. Uh, you know, you can add players, but if the players aren't pulling on the, the rope the same way, then, then it's not going to work. Alex Ovechkin and the Caps visit tomorrow night. Tonight they are in Edmonton, and the Oilers haven't scored in a while. But they did broke that, uh, break that drought on this goal by Darnell Nurse. Got a little help from a Caps D-man. 160-minute drought by the Oilers, but they're up 1-0 now in the first. And we'll show you one more. Biggest surprise of the year has to be uh, Buffalo. Ralph Kruger's team, 8-1-1, best record in the NHL. But uh, things came apart tonight at Madison Square Garden. Artemi Panarin with the steal. Beautiful move there to beat Carter Hutton. 3-0 Rangers after one. And then Tony D'Angelo on his 23rd birthday will score the goal there. 4-2 Rangers at that point, and they win it 6-2. 
Tiger Woods playing his first event of the new golf season in Japan at the Zozo Championship. Tiger bogeyed his first three holes, but then he went off thanks to a hot putter. This is his fifth birdie of the day, got him to minus two, just one off the lead. And then this is to tie, and that's in the heart. Tiger feeling it, still plenty more to come. All but the putter bends this one in for another birdie, and Tiger's got the lead at five under. And then on his finishing hole, drove it into the rough, but he will stuff one to just a few feet away and ended up making his ninth birdie of the round, tied for the lead with Gary Woodland at minus six. Now with the big time change, it's already Friday there, but round two has been washed out by rain. Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford's in the field. He's at plus one. The Houston Astros have fired assistant general manager Brandon Taubman for directing inappropriate comments at female reporters following the Astros' ALCS clinching win over the Yankees last weekend. Taubman reportedly shouted to the reporters in the locker room afterwards, thank God we got Asuna, Roberta Asuna, their closer. He said it several times with some F-bombs thrown in. Asuna was suspended for domestic violence when the Astros signed him last year. The women complained to the Astros, who initially said the comments were not directed at the women, but after further investigation said they made a mistake, and so they fired Taubman. So a bizarre situation. Perhaps maybe those reporters had, uh, you know, questioned Asuna or why they had, had, had signed him because of the domestic violence, mm-hmm. and he kind of lost it, and he's paid the price. A Florida man is being held a hero tonight after his routine kayaking trip turned into a rescue mission. He was out for a morning paddle when he spotted a vehicle partially submerged in water. It turns out someone was inside and still alive. Clearly, that car wasn't supposed to be there. It didn't feel right, so it was worth looking, and obviously it was. Rob Goodman, the kayaker, arrived early for his regular fishing trip from this boat ramp in Venice, Florida. Then he and paddleboarder Ed Coster noticed a woman inside that car, barely breathing in an 8-inch air pocket. Ran up to the car, and that's when uh, she put her hand out. They called 911. Says they're attempting to get the driver out of the vehicle. One driver made it to the water all night and rushed to pull her out. So I climbed down here and I proceeded to uh, try to communicate with her through the window. The 81-year-old woman had been driving late at night when she appeared to take a wrong turn down the boat ramp during high tide. On this surveillance video, you can barely see her headlights vanish into the water. She was very lucky considering, you know, the odds that were stacked against her. She was stuck for about 10 hours. We were happy she was. She was very lethargic and very confused. She was alive and well. Tonight, they're being hailed as heroes. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News. So I guess the moral of the story is (laughs) if you see a vehicle partially submerged on a boat launch. Yes. A boat ramp. I don't know what the terminology Mm -hmm. is, but look inside. <laughs> it's probably not supposed to be there. Not supposed right. to be there. Gotcha. There could be someone inside. Good to know. Okay. Thank you. Uh, pro tip. All right, let's check in with Christy Gordon one more time at Edgemont Haunt in North Vancouver. Are you okay? Oh, it, not really. It's scary here, I'll tell you that. Edgemont Haunt, definitely come by. It's open till through till Halloween, <laughs> 6.30 to 9.30. Oh, no. uh, check it out online. They've got a Facebook page. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. Do we give you danger pay? Yeah. <laughs> I should get danger pay. Thank you, Sophie. I agree. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> hopefully the crew is No spiders, you. hopefully, right? No spiders. No, but Squire sent me a photo of a spider today. 
coming up in one of his stories next week. Sounds like something he would do. Can't yeah. wait. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night. Good night.